0: Welcome to the Founder and Funder Experience, brought to you by Valence Advisory and Mattermade. This podcast serves to bring to light the different journeys select founders and funders took to get to where they are today. We hope their lives and their learnings continue to inspire both present and future innovators. Hello, everybody. My name is Arjun Devarora, and I am the founder and managing partner of Valence Advisory. We support founders and funders and help accelerate their efforts via people, strategy, and capital. And now off to John.
1: Hi, John Lowe here. I'm an advisor at Valence Advisory. I am the lead on leadership coaching and communications. And today we have a wonderful guest. His name's uh, Greg Sands from PostNOA VC. He's been in the game for quite some time and we're excited to dive into some of his personal professional story and the insights he's gained um, over years of experience in a career and venture. So I'll take it to you, Greg. So why don't you introduce yourself
0: and uh, tell us what you're working on now and we'll go from there. Fantastic. So my name is Greg Sands. I'm the founder and managing partner at Kosanova Ventures. And it's a firm that I started in 2012 and we're an early stage firm. So focused on typically season series A for companies using software and AI to change the way the world does business. So a lot of that is applied AI and SaaS. Some of it is data and machine learning infrastructure and cybersecurity and uh, DevOps and the like. Uh, we're now a, t- we're a team of 14 people and six investment professionals. I came to it from 13 years at Sutter Hill Ventures. And before that, I was the first product manager at Netscape. So I wrote the first business plan, shipped the first products, came up with the name Netscape for the company, And built the server infrastructure suite, which was about a third of revenue at the time of the $8 billion sale to AOL and Sun. So that's a little bit of background on me. Great. Thank you, Greg. What inspired
1: you to start Coastal Noah and spin out on your own as an investor? Because my understanding is you were at Soto Hill and at some point you decided, hey, it's time to do my own thing.
0: Yeah, so by the way, uh, Sutter Hills is a, is a great firm, and I had a wonderful experience there and learned the trade there. And I regard that group very highly and continue to talk and work closely with them. But it did feel like there had been a burst of new fund formation in 2011 and 12, but that it hadn't been done in a way that was dedicated to early stage used what I'll call a a focus on the craft of venture capital. Most of it was, I'll call it Johnny Appleseed seed investors, as opposed to people who still make a real investment decision. And then are life cycle partners to an entrepreneur for the duration of the company and that we're enterprise focused. So that intersection was the thing that I got excited about doing. And once it became, once the idea really came into my head, I basically had to do it. Wow. And so what was it like
1: raising your first fund then after working at Sutter for quite some time? Was the workload exactly what you expected or did you hit some road bumps along the way and have to learn on the fly?
0: Well, definitely. I'd never really raised a dollar in my life. So it was a completely (laughs) new experience. And I'd say, and I found it very hard is the honest answer. I mean, it went okay, but I found it very hard. I will note that the people who made early commitments have a real place in my heart. I'll also say that people who were prior firm founders, like Fred Wilson and Brad Feld, who've been investors and have introduced us to investors, also played a really important role in that process. I learned a little by doing. I have to say, not only had I not raised money, I hadn't really had a sales job. So the rate of rejection was, but when I say rejection, I even just mean inaction right? Not saying yes, was just higher than I had previously experienced. And it feels as a first time firm founder, it feels very personal. Maybe even it is very personal. And so I think it really did take, like it really, like any founder, fundraising is a real emotional journey up and down. And I was going through it for the first time and I was at the, I was a sole founder. So I was going through it alone, but I will also say getting to the first close made all the difference in the world. Wow, great. So was it particularly the hardest process was selling
1: and fundraising? Because earlier you said you found it quite challenging or were there other things that you would say were pretty challenging in starting and raising your fund that perhaps emerging fund managers these days might not be able to foresee themselves?
0: Well, I think fundraising was the biggest shock and the hardest. I think that's fair to say. I think the next one up, was, I would say, and I think even my partners at Sutter Hill would say, oh, I had a relatively independent investment process. I wanted to go do my work. I wanted to go figure things out for myself. I'd bounce ideas off people, but I was, but I was, and we were pretty willing to let people drive that process as an individual. It's still really different to say, what is the standard by which I make a million or multimillion dollar investment decision completely on my own without any other human being? And so honestly, having done, you know, having made investments from two to 10 or $12 million, the first yes was 300 and then 500, then a million two. And it took about a year before we actually made a $3 million investment, which is now, you know, which we now do quite regularly.
1: Great. Over time, um, as you've gotten comfortable with investing out of your own firm, what are some of the processes or uh, things you look for in making early stage investments? And how has that changed with
0: experience for you? I mean, to me, all excellent venture capital investors use some combination of people, products, and markets, right? And the question is really what's the mix or what's the ratio? And how do they come together in that individual company? And I'd say, you know, some of which is honestly understanding myself and my relative strengths and weaknesses. I feel like I get very high resolution on people. I can dig in and do that work and run through scenarios, think about how they hire people, understand their assessment of the market and make a really high fidelity judgment. Look, I grew up as a product manager. So this idea of going out for customer discovery and talking to prospective customers about a product that doesn't exist and figuring out whether it solves real problems, whether to pay for it, who needs to be involved in the decision, all of those things that come very naturally to me. I think the thing that is really challenging, but obviously matters is market size analysis, you know, often referred to as TAM analysis, total available market in the very early stages of a company's life. You know, the markets sometimes don't exist. Sometimes you're trying to create a new behavior, Sometimes you say, if the product's better, the market's bigger, because more people will use it as a substitute for more manual processes or the like. So to me, the thing as we've built out the team, right? One of the things that we've tried to do is to leverage what I'll call my strengths, which are people in product, and then have other people basically really anchor or that the TAM analysis on the other side, so that when we come together, we're actually better than any one of us is individually.
1: Uh Uh-huh, right. So you've designed a process to take care of individual bias in the decision-making process.
0: Yeah. I mean, one thing that we do, for example, I don't know that this is completely novel, but I mean, so again, we did go from one person to now six people on the investment team, and we've got three full-time operating partners who also participate in the investment process and often vote on investment deals and sometimes take board seats. So we do actually, what we've tried to do is to develop a process that gets the best out of every person. And so in particular, we rate companies on, and we have each person do it, on people, product, market, and terms or price. And we do that one to 10 in each category, stack ranked according to our existing portfolio. And we do that all blinded. So that way, you know, the most junior person in the room isn't looking and saying, oh, you know, what does Greg think? Or what does Mark Selko think? You know, she or he is responsible for coming up with their own point of view. And then we use that not to say, oh, the numbers tell us thumbs up or thumbs down. But if people had really different votes, why do we disagree? Where do we have different information? Where are we using a slightly different scale? And use that as a way of teasing apart the differences of opinion to get to a better result for everybody. Yeah, love the depth of that process. That's really cool. Thank you for sharing yeah thank you for being transparent
1: and since implementing that process how has it worked out for you All have there been surprises in terms of investments that maybe you wouldn't have considered making but the rest of your team revealed some insight that was an oversight on your behalf or whether there was a, a hot deal that everyone thought was hot but actually after running the process it wasn't so hot
0: i think the biggest thing is that it has led to some really interesting conversations about how to balance those criteria, right? There are sort of, I'll give you two dimensions. How do you rate a sole founder who is an extraordinary technologist but doesn't know anything about go to market, right? So we'll often end up in a situation where one person says, well, that's a 10. The person who's there is extraordinary. And the number one thing we need to do is to build the product. And someone else will say, no, I thought that was a three because you're missing this whole other part. And so then you end up having an intelligent conversation about, okay, how do we think about this? And what's the risk in needing to go bring some more go-to-market expertise over time? So that's one type, right? And then the other one is where one factor plays a more important role than other factors, And so, for example, we would generally say, so we've actually done deals, which on a deal terms perspective or a price perspective got a two because we thought it was strong enough along the other factors and we want to be in the best companies. The factors don't actually always have equal weightings. There's an interesting conversation about, for example, if you're going to, I'll call it break ranks on price or what you feels like an appropriate risk reward on price. Do you do that because the people are a 10 or because the market? From a market dynamics and size is a 10, right? Meaning something that can just run forever, right? If it wins, it's not only a billion dollar company, but a $10 billion company. If it's a $10 billion company, it can be a $30 billion company, right? And so you get to intelligent conversations about, you know, I think in this case, the market size or TAM is so big that we need to relax our constraint on price. Great. A lot of factors to uh, consider. No one-size-fits-all. <laughs> that's exactly right, because I think the idea that says one could come back and say, oh, price should always be you know, 10%, not 25%, but it depends on the type of investment. Hey, thank
1: you. So we're going to switch gears a bit. want to find out a bit more about how you got into venture to start compared to when you got into venture. What keeps you in venture nowadays, because you've had quite, quite the
0: career. Yeah. Well, so first I was toiling totally doing my job at Netscape and got a call from the team at Sutter Hill. So I was recruited into it. Now I'll say my good friend, Dave Globe, who's a co-founder and the chief investment officer at Francisco Partners, was effectively my predecessor at Sutter Hill. And so he had said, oh, if you're going to call somebody, call my friend Greg. And I had met a couple of the partners over the years, but didn't have close relationships with them. It just began a conversation. I do think, not that this is the primary point of the conversation, but being in a key product management role at the seminal company of its era is probably the easy and best way of getting into venture capital if you can find your way into that role, right? Now, I think, you know, it's interesting. We, we actually just did a quarterly call with all of our LPs this morning. And I will say, I mean, the work that we do now is incredibly meaningful, Look, it's, it's a new set of challenges for me because I started a firm and have built a whole team and I'm leading a team and, you know, raising capital and the like. So that some of those are new dimensions and just keep it interesting and the like. But our firm and our people and the way that we work with and engage with founders and with leadership teams is the thing that keeps me coming back. It is the thing that keeps me going. And I'll just keep get up early in the morning. I'll keep going late at night. I'll work all weekend long because that's the thing that matters. And one of the things, you know, we're, of course, doing, having this conversation on April 16th, regardless of when it airs, the last five or six weeks have been really intense. They've been intense for every business leader and every public health official and everything else. But, you know, every company is completely replanning, trying to understand what the new normal is, trying to figure out what the right staffing levels are, seeing if they can raise incremental capital, dealing with their own personal, mental, and emotional challenges around this stressful environment. And with that, I'd say the work of being a foundational investor and board member and partner to founders has been incredibly rewarding those relationships and our contribution to the companies actually shows up that much more in times of difficulty and stress. Thanks for sharing. And, you know,
1: my understanding, just because we have the gift of knowing you and also having interacted with John Calgo on your team, during the last four to five weeks, while supporting your portfolio companies, how have you managed to also still review inbound deals and thoroughly get to conviction, whether that's yes or no?
0: Yeah. So, so much of what we do, you know, happens remote and over phone calls and the like anyway, right. You know, we're often calling customers or prospective customers, calling market experts, trying to get, you know, doing detailed product reviews, those kinds of things one can do. And we continue to be engaged in the hardest part is figuring out the people because we're used to figuring them out in three dimensions right? And doing it in two dimensions, as good as Zoom is, it's not the same. And so, you know, on some level, one of the things that we and others often try to do is you don't just do references, but you go through scenario exercises, you take people out to lunch or dinner, you get together in different environments just to see different dimensions of a person. And those are important in both directions in the context of what could be seven or 10 year relationships right? And who's going to be my critical source of support during a difficult period? And how is John going to react when it for two days feels like the world is falling apart? Can he hold it together? Can he lead the team? Can he hire people that are better than he is at certain things? And so we've made three commitments in this new era. They're all founders that we've had at least one interaction with prior to the COVID crisis and shelter in place. We still haven't yet pulled the trigger on anything where we haven't met the founder face-to-face. I expect we will. I do think, I was just talking about this with Amy Cheatham on our team yesterday. I think it's more shorter interactions on rapid fire It does involve trying to set up slightly different environments. It may be that we share a meal together. We're just doing it in different places. It may be that I have to be more explicit in saying, instead of saying, let's go out to dinner. I was like, I want to know about your family of origin. You know, tell me about how you grew up. Who was the biggest influence? What was that like? What was your moment of great personal challenge? And it might be that we have to be more explicit about some of those things in order to feel like we're coming in knowing the person. Thanks. And um, just because, wow, time's flown, <laughs> you
1: shared a great deal of insight. One of the things I understand is you're also very uh, team-focused and oriented and building processes that arguably outlast the lifetime of your career as a venture capitalist. How have you gone about thinking through and implementing succession planning for Nova so that it maintains kind of its boutique DNA that you implanted into the firm from inception?
0: Yeah. So I think this is something that, frankly, we've gotten much better at, right? We had to grope our way through a little bit in the early days, but I think we now have demonstrated repeatedly our ability to take people who are extraordinary coming in, right? But earlier in their careers and may not come Mm -hmm. in with prior venture capital experience and teach them the basics of the business, help them get productive, find their superpowers weave them into the process, create new and incremental opportunities. So, you know, have a sense of, okay, how far to let them run, right? While being some amount of guardrails and a fair amount of, I'll call it more mentoring than teaching because it is as complex situations come up. So, you know, you've spent some time with John. John is extraordinary, right? John came to us not having been in the venture business, in his case, straight from McKinsey, and we marched through that process together and then we're conscious of saying, okay, now's a time when you can start writing checks on your own. Okay, now you're gonna have to play the role of really a lead board member. For the first time you've seen me do it, Mark, Selko, or I will stand behind you and support you. Okay, great, now you've done it with some support. Now you're ready to go on your own. And so we're just very conscious of how to both give people the tools and give them the room to go do that. And I'll say, this has actually been one of the real joys of building the firm, has been creating that opportunity for people. And it, it just, uh, I, look, I'm, I'm thrilled with our founders. I'm thrilled with our firm. It's great to see uh, companies succeed, but seeing people succeed, you know, is honestly the most emotionally rewarding thing I do at work. Thank you. Thank you, Greg. And in the final minute, is there something you'd like to
1: share with the founders or emerging founders in the ecosystem who are navigating these challenging times? What words of advice or wisdom would you have to impart to them, if any?
0: I think when you distill it down, I'm going to come back to two atomic pieces of information. So one is you got to think for yourself. you got to seek advice. But in the end, you've got to synthesize it. You've got to decide whether Arjun's right to go big or go home or John is right, that we should be cautious in a challenging environment. And only you can make that decision and you can't outsource it to somebody else. So get practice synthesizing it and developing your own point of view because if you're not listening to your own point of view, you won't get better, right? Having your own point of view, putting it into the action and following it is the only way to get better. That's one. The other thing is that, I'll call it simply, the hip bone is connected to the leg bone. And we all know the song from, you know, being a kid. But the basic idea is that companies are these, this set of interconnected pieces. So the product isn't disconnected from who you built it for, which isn't disconnected from how the pricing works, which isn't disconnected from what kind of person sells the product, which isn't co- disconnected from how you get people into the top of the funnel. And so every time you move one piece of the equation, you got to move the other pieces and they've got to stay connected. And it's one of the reasons why people who try to do these kind of disconnected explosive motions end up blowing a gasket over and over again because they fail to bring the rest of the village along with them. But those functions are all tied together. So those are my two. Think for yourself, hip bones connected to the leg bone. Awesome. Shares. Thank you, Greg. Wish we had more time with
1: you, but hopefully there's many more to come, maybe more specific topics so that we can uh, get your message out to the ecosystem.
0: Yeah, thank you. Well, so. it's been lovely to talk to you. Really appreciate the time and uh, happy to follow up as is useful to you and the broader community.